0: You know, I assume, I was thinking about this, I assume all of us at some time in our life, hopefully it's more regularly than not, but we, we all pray. Sometimes we pray before bed or we pray when we wake up in the morning. Sometimes we pray uh, right when we're about to eat a meal. Other of us, others of us are praying for a job opportunity, maybe praying for someone that's sick in the hospital. Maybe you're praying when your team's down one touchdown, you have no timeouts, so not that I've ever done that before. Yes, I have. But there are times in our lives where we find ourselves praying, calling out to God, asking God for help, communicating with him. And that's great. But when's the last time that you and I prayed a bold prayer? I mean a prayer that we cried out to God in such a way that if he doesn't come through, we're in trouble. A prayer that looks at our lives and then looks at the scriptures and we recognize our lives don't line up with what God's word says and we literally prayed, God, change me. We're really good at praying bold prayers for others to change, but when's the last time we said, God, you must move? And so over the next three weeks, we are going to be focusing on dangerous prayers. Prayers that I want us to pray and pray and pray so we can see God at work in a real, amazing, big way in our lives. So the first prayer that, excuse me, the second prayer, the first one will be today. The second one that we'll pray starting next week, Pastor Todd is going to pray, Father, help me to forgive my enemies. Now that's really hard because we're not just talking about, okay, I I say I forgive them, but truly forgiving the people that we don't like in such a way that when we pray, God bless my life, we would pray the same thing for the people that we don't like in our lives. That is dangerous and really, really hard. That's why I didn't want to pick that one. We gave that one to Todd. And then Pastor Jay will be here praying, Father, I'm a wreck, and I'm desperate for your mercy again. I said it before. We're so, It's so easy to spot the people who are a mess, the people in our lives, the people that we see from afar. Like Man, they need to get their lives together. When's the last time we said, I need to get my life together? God, I need your mercy and grace, and without it, I'm in trouble. So for the next three weeks, we're going to be praying dangerous prayers, beginning today with a prayer that, I remember praying years ago, one that I wish, looking back, that I kept praying in my life because I think it would have spared me a lot of hurt that I've gone through over the the last few years. But to give you just a preview of what this looks like, let me show you these cute little pictures right here. These are pictures of my daughter, Eden. Eden and Micah, my five-year-old, have enrolled in this little tumbling class where they're just doing little gymnastics or tumbling, and they're not, really, they're not competitive at all. It's just to have some fun, have, get a little exercise. And I love this picture of Eden. What you can't probably see from where you're sitting is her little tongue is sticking out in both of the pictures. And the reason her tongue is sticking out is because she's so concentrated on the beam. She wants to stay on the beam. And so her whole focus, including why her tongue is sticking out, is to get across step by step because she knows if she looks up or looks around or thinks about something else she's going to waver you can even see in this picture she's balancing herself so she doesn't fall off the beam and when i was watching her i couldn't help but think about that should be our lives with jesus that we ought to live our lives on the beam where we have one focus, one purpose, one mission, one hope, that our eyes should be fixated on God in such a way where, yes, the pathway is narrow. We don't want to go right or we don't want to go left. We need to go one foot in front of the other. And yet it's so easy for us to turn our attention to something else and to lose our balance and fall off the beam. You see, the difference though with Eden is that if she falls off, she falls off on a soft mat. If you and I fall off the beam, when it comes to our faith in Christ, it can turn disastrous. Disastrous for our personal relationship with God, disastrous at what's happening internally in us, and disastrous for the relationships in our lives. And may I pose this, it also becomes disastrous to those who are on the outside looking in, trying to figure out if this God thing is real, watching your life, and when you fall off the beam, and your eyes divert from Jesus onto something else, they see that as well. And so what we want to do today is that we want to look at what does life look like on the beam. To have a singular focus before God and what happens when we don't. And someone who, know, who knew this very, very well was King David. King David in his, journal, in his journal entries that we have recorded that we now call the Psalms. He's writing to God, crying out to God about what's going on in his life. And in Psalm 86, we see he is in great distress. And the reason that David is in great distress is because he is under attack. That every single day that he wakes up, there are literally people who are after his life. But what's interesting is that when you read Psalm 86, you start to realize that yes, David is in distress. He is in pain. He is hurting. But he continues to put his trust in God. It's as if he's saying, even though I'm falling apart internally and externally, if my relationship with God is good, then I am good. And I've been thinking this week, wouldn't that be amazing? To live a life in such a way that even internally or externally we're going through pain and sorrow and frustration and hurt. And yet we say at the end of the day, as long as I'm on the beam, as long as my eyes are on God, that I'm going to be okay. You know what? That's hard to do, isn't it? Even when life is good, it's hard to live life on the beam. And David, he knows this. He knows living life on the beam takes effort. It takes intentionality. That it does not come natural to us, pe- us people who are selfish and prideful. And so he prays this prayer in the midst of Psalm 86 verse 11. And we're going to camp out in verses 11 and 12 today. And he prays this. He says, give me an undivided heart. I love that he prays this. And then I love what the great Charles Spurgeon comes around years later and says about this. He says, give me one heart, for too often I feel a heart and a heart, two natures contending, two principles struggling for sovereignty. I love that. David is saying, give me an undivided heart before you, God, because I often live my life divided. Where my heart is divided, or like Charles Spurgeon says, I have two hearts. It's such a great illustration of of what you and I go through on a daily basis. Because a lot of us who call ourselves Christ fathers, we have a heart for God. We truly love Jesus. We know what he did for us on the cross and in the resurrection. We've given him our, our life, maybe as a child or later as an adult. We pray we regularly read the bible we have a small group we come to church i mean our lives are those that says yes i follow jesus however there's something else that's vying for my heart too something that is sovereign something that's godlike in our life that is competing for our attention competing for our desires competing for everything in us and it's as if we say, God, I love you because you're God, and then, God, I love you because you're a God. And oftentimes these things creep up in our lives and we don't even know they've become a God thing in our lives. Usually it's, it's found in three categories. Usually our self that we put equal to God in our lives or, or someone else, maybe a relationship or somebody that we've elevated to God in our lives or, or something else. Something that we say, if I don't have this, then I don't have worth. That literally we put God and this God on the same page. And our hearts beat for both. And we go back and forth, back and forth. And we want to live for God, but then we want to live for this. And then we want to live for God, and we want to live for this. And so often we fall off the beam because of it. The Apostle Paul says it better than anyone can in Romans seven. Many of us know this passage. And I was looking at it in different translations this week and I looked at it in the message paraphrase and the way Paul describes this is literally what my biography should be. (laughs) This is what the Christian life probably feels like for so many of us here. Here's what he says. I love when he goes, yeah, I'm full of myself. Anyone say amen to that? Like, listen, I'm prideful, I'm selfish. When I wake up in the morning, life is about me. I'm full of myself. After all, I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I I decide one way, but but I act another, doing the things I absolutely despise. For if I know the law, but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do that anyways. I love how he says this. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. And this is key. I truly delight in God's commands. I truly want to live life on the beam. But it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. I think many of us can say, that's me. And if you feel conflicted, if you feel like you're a failure when it comes to your walk with Jesus, one, you're not, but two, welcome to good company, Because Paul is saying, I want to live life just staring at God and putting one foot in front of the other towards him. I want to live life on the beam, but so often I crash and burn. What do I do? I want to pose to you that all of us in this room that call ourselves Christ followers probably fall into this camp at some point. The problem is, is that we don't always recognize it. And oftentimes when we do we justify it away, or we excuse it, or we blame others, or we just say it's a part of life, oh well, I'll try my best. The Problem with that is, it's possible to live with an undivided heart. So before we go on to see the answer to that, we have to look at the problem. And I wanna look at the evidence of a divided heart. Evidence that you may look at practically in your life and you may say, wow, yeah, that's me. So for the next few moments, I just wanna sit down with you. I don't always like standing and teaching because it almost looks like I'm teaching at you, but I want you to know that I'm in this with you, that I'm sitting in a chair, listening to this with you, that I've had to put in the hard heart work this week of having to wrestle with this myself, so welcome to the wrestling. What we're about to see on the screens in white is the beam life, the undivided life, the life that many of us want to live and oftentimes do live. When our eyes are on God and we're walking in step with him, our lives look like this. But then over time, whether we're conscious of it or not, we slip. We fall off the beam. We live a divided life. And in red, you're going to see what happens when we do. I want to ask of you two things. One, I want to ask, instead of you thinking of other people when you see these things, would you think about yourself first? Then you can think about other people. (laughs) But if you have it all together, you can think of other people. But if you don't, let's just focus on ourselves this morning. The second thing is, I'm going to put a controversial one on the screen after a while. And it may invoke some anger and frustration, but that's okay Because it's interesting, one pastor said church is like this. We are to comfort the afflicted, but we are also to afflict the comfortable. And many of us have gotten too comfortable living this way. So I just ask that when I put this on the screen, and I'll give you a warning of which one it is, would you just think about our own lives and just see what the Spirit may be speaking to you this morning, all right? Let's start. So the evidence of an undivided life, a life on the beam, should look like this. I trust God's ways even if they're not my ways, especially when I'm going through pain. Because I know God will not waste my pain somehow, some way. When there's pain in life, usually we do one of two things. We either run towards God or we run away from God. And pain is one of those tricky things. Because oftentimes, when pain is inflicted on us, we either can blame God or blame other people, or we can say, you know what? This does not feel really well, but I'm gonna trust God in the midst of my pain. And in fact, not only am I going to trust God in the midst of my pain, I know he's not going to waste my pain. And the way God uses our pain oftentimes is in three different ways. One, it's to help us become more like Christ. Oftentimes, pain is one of those things that makes us evaluate our lives and our beliefs. And hopefully, it makes us go deeper in the Lord. The second thing pain teaches us is empathy. Not sympathy, feeling bad for somebody, but empathy is now, because you've walked in your shoes, through pain, you can walk in other people's shoes as well. That God will use it for that way, to... Use your pain for his glory. Or the third thing he oftentimes does is something you'll never see. That on this side of heaven, he sees it, but on this side of heaven, you can't. And that's when we have to trust him and say, God, I don't see it, but I will trust you in the midst of it. That's what life on the beam looks like. But so often, pain can knock us off the beam. And when we live a divided life, here's what happens. I cannot trust God's ways, Because they oftentimes don't line up with my ways. Especially when God allows me to go through pain. And I will either avoid it or I will take matters in my own hands. Pain either takes you towards God or takes you away from God. In this instance, it takes us away from God because immediately we trust in our plans, in our thoughts, in our desires, in our ways more than we do God's. And therefore, when we have pain, we either will avoid it and we go to something else that will numb the pain, which we know when we go to anything else to numb the pain, that thing becomes a problem in our lives. Or we take matters in our own hands and say, God, I don't like your plan. Why don't you move to the side? I'm going to take over. And when we take over, how damaging that can be. And so are are you living the undivided life or are we living the divided life? Here comes the controversial one. You ready? Ready? Politics. This is a quote from John Wesley. When he, he was a circuit preacher, he would go around in a horse and preach to different people. When he would preach on politics, he, he would use this outline, so to speak, to preach. And he says, as a Christ follower, when it comes to politics, we ought to do three things. We ought to vote for the person they judged most worthy, regardless of party. We look at the person, we look at the issue, and we vote for what we think lines up with God's desires. We speak no evil of the person they voted against. So we, if we're a Democrat, we don't speak against Republicans. If we're a Republican, we don't speak against Democrats. An independent, you don't go both ways. That's what he's trying to say here. And then finally, to take care that their spirits were not sharpened against those that voted on the other side. In other words, when someone votes on the other side, you can debate the person, you can talk about your differences, but at the end of the day, you smile, you're friends. It's okay to disagree, but you walk away still with the relationship intact. The problem is, I don't always see that in our political climate when it comes from Christ followers. You know what's really sad to me? Non-Christians don't read the Bible. They read the Christian. And to get a viewpoint of what Jesus is and who we are as a church and who you are as a Christ father, they're getting it from your life and how you talk about people and how you lift up or tear down your beliefs, which comes to politics as well. I have read numerous articles from especially millennials that watched Christ followers behave in the previous elections even now and they want nothing to do with God because of our behavior. And here's why. God's kingdom reigns, which means God is the president, God is the king, God is the ultimate authority. His kingdom rules. And whether we like it or not, he allows whatever... Government is in place at that moment to happen. And yes, is there corruption in the government? Of course, on both sides. But God is a God that will use those things for his glory. He is bigger than that. If we allow him to be. And Christ followers, what happens is, when we live live a divided life, if God's kingdom's here and politics is here, oftentimes they end up going here or here where we allow politics to become a God in our lives, and it makes us act out in a certain way that is not biblical. And so, here's what happens. I only vote for the person that aligns with my party. Even if someone, whether Democrat or Republican or whatever you vote for, even if I don't agree with that person, I have to agree with my party, and so I'm voting for my party. And I end up speaking evil of the opposing party on social media. There have been so many times when I see a Christ follower check in on the chapel or share a chapel thing. And then a couple hours or a couple days later, they put this horrible thing about the other side of politics. Railing them, degrading them, saying nasty things about them. And that leads to relationships being fractured with those that voted on the other side. God gives us freedom to vote. And we should vote for whatever party and whatever person we believe lines up with our Christ-like values. But we also need to act Christ-like as well. It sickens me and saddens me to see how many times we have spoken out against someone else. And when I look at scripture, and when I look at what Jesus says, he says, When you go out, disciples, they will know you by your love. Some of us as Christ followers are so unloving when it comes to politics. Why, if you disagree, why do we we have to go against everybody? Why do we have to put so many things in social media and bash other people, the same people that are built in God's image like you are? Why do we have to go about it like that? Why do we have to drag God's name in the mud so that we can try to be right when it comes to politics? There are people who won't come to this church because of that. People that won't believe in Jesus because of that. What matters most is relationships and how we represent God. Less about our vitriol and our anger towards the other side of politics we got to get our act together, church. You want to know what party I, I'm in? Do you know what I believe? You don't, do you? Good. Let's keep going. <laughs> my words. I recognize the power of my words. And when I live an undivided life, I care more about others, and so I avoid gossiping and talking badly about people, no matter if I like the person or not. There are so many times where, especially in my own life, where I start to say some things about people, and it's so disturbing. I would never say that to their face, and yet I act this way. And If we're undivided, we, we know that we're not supposed to talk badly about people, even if we don't like them, even if we don't agree with them. We represent everyone fairly. Because so often on the other side, we do recognize the power of my words, but because I care more about myself than others, I gossip and I talk badly about other people, no matter if I like the person or not. I wrote that last part for a reason. There are many people who gossip and talk behind their spouses back. I think you like your spouse, I hope, sometimes. How sad it is that we will drag our own spouse or our own kids or our own ...friends through the mud because we care about what other people think more than what God thinks. we got to do better at that. Or when I'm wrong, if I'm living the undivided life, I'm the first person to admit when I'm wrong and I apologize. And I'm the first one to ask for forgiveness because I care more about the relationship than being right. All of us know when we're wrong. We just don't always like to admit it. But if we live on the beam, if we live an undivided life, then it doesn't matter... If we're right or if we're wrong, all that matters is we put the relationship first and we apologize first. And we try to build a reconciled life and have a reconciled relationship because the opposite happens when we live a divided life. I have a hard time admitting when I am wrong because it's usually not my fault. And if I do apologize, it's because the other person apologized first. I can't tell you how many times in my marriage... When Paula and I are arguing about something and either one of us thinks we're right or both of us think we're right. Isn't it funny, after a while, I can't even remember what we were fighting about. (laughs) But I do know our relationship is completely fractured because none of us were willing to show humility and you know what? If I'm in, a, in, a, in, a, in an argument with Paula, even though she may be the wrong one and I know it, I can only control me. I can't control her. What is my response going to be? An undivided Christ follower will ask for forgiveness. A divided Christ follower will blame before they ask for forgiveness. I listen more than I speak because I know I can learn from the other person regardless of who they are and so we are consciously listening what is that person teaching me whether it's a kid or an adult how can I learn from this person and you're actively listening whereas on the other side when you live a divided life you speak a lot you interrupt a lot and you're distracted because you're hearing them but you don't listen in other words oh you're interrupting them and then when they're talking all you're thinking about is your comeback Because you're right. But when we live an undivided life, we're listening and saying, where was I wrong? See the difference. Finally, my self-worth is grounded in my relationship with Jesus because I know Ephesians says I'm his masterpiece. And because of this, I'm content and at peace regardless of what others think of me. Wouldn't it be nice when you look at yourself, you don't have to look at others or anyone else to give you a, a defining kind of life. You know your life is defined by who Jesus is as, your, as his son and daughter because the opposite is so empty. My self-worth is determined by how I look, what other people think of me, my material things, what I have, or my job or whatever I do. And because of this, I am often restless and I have an insatiable desire for more. When we live a divided life and you fill your life With things on the right hand side. Let me tell you. You fill in a cup that has a hole at the bottom of it. And every time you want to define yourself by the mirror. You define yourself by what other people think of you. You define yourself by what you have. You define yourself by what you do. You fill it up. By the end of the day it's empty. And you're looking at your life and it's empty again. What do you do? The only thing that closes the hole is to live An undivided life. You see, there's a big difference between those who say, I want to live on the beam, my eyes on God. A life that it has one mission, one purpose, one focus. And a life that says, God, I do love you and I want to live for you, but I also want to live for something else. The results are so evident here. That's the problem. We live a divided life often. What do we do? When well, we go back to the verse, that's what we do, because we have a solution here. Here's what David says. Listen, he says, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Look at this. He says, teach me your way and give me an undivided heart, which means David's like, look, I don't always know your way. I, I can't find your way. I like to follow my way, but I, I don't know your way all the time. And I can admit that. And I live with a divided heart. I need you to give me an undivided heart. You see, the problem is we live a divided life because we don't go to God to give us what he can only give us. We function out of our own strength. We function out of a different box. We need to go back to him and say, listen, put me back on the beam. Because I want my whole life to reflect you in all that I do. I love what Paul, going back to what he says in Romans 7, he goes, I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Some of us feel that way internally, like I try really hard to follow Jesus, but I find myself over here. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? But then he follows up with this. Please follow up with this. The answer, thank God. Thank God. He said, Jesus can and does. I love this part. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions. Do you have contradictions in your life? Good. So does Paul. And so does David. And so what does he say? I got to go back to Jesus. Jesus can give me an undivided heart. Jesus can give me a life that I can live on the beam. And if we can't or we fall off, he is right there to help us. Going back to this picture with my daughter, I love that She's on the high beam right now, and she still has her tongue sticking out. Her focus is there. But I wonder if she were to look up or to get scared or to turn her attention off the beam. If she were to waver, I love that her instructor is right there holding her hand, not letting her fall off. So it is with Jesus. If, if we're wavering, if we want to live with an undivided heart, but we find ourselves going over here, just take his hand. He will keep you on the beam. And what I love about this instructor is I know if somehow she lost touch with my my daughter and, and my daughter fell off, there'd be a lot of tears probably. But that instructor would take her hand and vault her back on the beam and say, go again. Some of us need to take God's hand who have fallen off the beam. He's taking us by his hand to put us back on the beam. He's saying, go again. And it's not just a day-by-day thing. It's a moment-by-moment thing to say, okay, God, I'm over here. Politics is too high in my life. Other people's view of me is too high in my life. I am living my life. God, get my hand and bring me back on the beam. You and I are made to live on the beam. Don't settle for a divided life. Because when we live on the beam... When we live with an undivided heart where we're following God's ways, we realize he's faithful. We realize that David says, I may learn your faithfulness. There are so many times when I feel so distant from God in my life or I'm talking with someone over coffee or in my office about the same thing. And there are many factors at play when that happens. And sometimes this is not the case. But oftentimes if we boil it down, God is there waiting to hold our hands and we're saying, no thank you. In other words, oftentimes if you feel distant from God, it's not God, it's that he doesn't have all of us. He has a portion of us, but not all of us. It's time for some of us to get back in the beam so God can guide us in this life of contradictions We won't be perfect, but we'll be devoted. and He can work with that. Because the greatest outcome of this is is the next verse. This is the outcome of living with an undivided life. I will praise you, Lord my God. Read the next four words out loud, ready? I will praise you, Lord my God, all my heart. Not a divided heart. All of my heart, I will be able to praise you. He's literally saying, because I'm living on the beam, I can see your fingerprints everywhere in my life. I can see it when it's good and when it's bad. I can see when life is really, really hard and when life is really, really great. Or when I don't agree with you or whatever it is, I will praise you. I will see you. I will love you. I will celebrate you. I want to live with an undivided life so my life is praiseworthy. And the results of that, is that I will glorify your name. The word glory here literally means that when we live our lives, we live it unto God, which means when we live our lives, it just you look at us and there's an arrow pointing up to God. And all that we say, all that we do However we act, it's reflecting who God is. And how cool is this? You know when I said at the beginning, millennials or other people are frustrated with Christians by the way we live? If we live with a whole heart, they will see a different kind of God, and maybe they'll give them a chance. And the people in your workplaces and the people in your friendships and your family members will see a person has a whole heart that reflects God, and it will do so many great things in them because you live with an undivided heart. May we live that way. May we live on the beam and when we fall off, may we take his hand to get back on there. No more divided life. May we live with an undivided heart.